As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. Brigham Dickinson is owner and founder of Power Selling Pros, the company that powers your customer experience with call handling training and coaching for thousands of companies in the home service industry. He is also an owner of Booked, a night answering service for hundreds of companies in the home service industry. Also, Athlicare, a sports recovery company for athletes. Welcome, Brigham Dickinson. Good morning, Mark Madison on Books and People. This morning, I'm super excited about having our guest, Brigham Dixon. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you, Mark? You know, I'm doing really well. As I said before, good as gold, right as rain, cool as a cucumber. But I've been racking my brain trying to figure out when and where we met. Do you remember? Yeah. So I'm I, I'm the fan and you're the superstar. That's basically that's basically how it begins. Um, I was working at Arctic Air as a league coordinator over 20 years ago in Chico, California. And you came to, uh, I think it was Sacramento to train some uh, technicians, a group of technicians. And uh, Royal was really big or is really big on uh, training, uh, especially with his team. And so he sent me to this tech training where you were providing the tech training and selling your books and I was, uh, I was amazed. I, I was, I was super impressed with everything you did. Bought your books. Well, geez, that's, it's hard to believe it was 20 years ago. Long, long time. <laughs> you know, when we were young and having a good time, time flew and out flies, whether we're having a good time or not. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So you were, uh, you were really a hyper kid but your dad came up with a solution. What was that? Well, uh, I guess, I guess he, he, uh, I don't know, reverse. I I can think you could call it reverse psychology. Um, he worked at a mushroom plant. In fact, he worked at a mushroom plant his entire life. And, um, I got a job there. It was my first job. And I don't know if you guys know, you know, if you if you know how mushrooms are made, I, if if I were to tell you, you probably wouldn't eat any more mushrooms. But but uh, <laughs> I got a pretty good idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I read I read your book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I uh, I got this job is on Fridays and Saturdays, and uh, it was right after school on Fridays, and then um, throughout the day on Saturdays, and. Uh, it was fine. I mean, I would clean up 
chicken poop um, after harvesting. Everybody else would go in and harvest the mushrooms. And then all that was left was chicken poop on the ground. And these were football sized um, rooms. And uh, it was very humid. That's how they grew the mushrooms with a lot of humidity. Right. Um, and I would get on my hands and knees and spray underneath the trays uh, in these football sized rooms. Before I got on my hands and knees, I had to, I had to uh, scoop it out by the shovels full. So shovels full first, and then and then hands and knees second, uh, spraying it out with a hose. Wow! Um, and it would and it would take all day, about six hours. And you were how old? Uh, sixteen. Yeah, that's a humbling yeah. beginning right there. Yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> not really, <laughs> but uh, you know my my dad, he's great. He he said, you know, uh, well my grades weren't, uh, and it wasn't because I was working. It was just because I wasn't paying attention. Right. And I, I learned differently. And uh, because my grades were suffering, he and I had a little conversation and he, and he hinted that he and I were going to be working there for a long time together. And of course, that was the moment I said to myself, absolutely not. So yeah, <laughs> in, in a roundabout way, um, he, he certainly motivated me to, to, to get out of the mushroom plant. Well, you know, you can only go up from mushroom plants. Right. <laughs> I threw 150 pound bull hides covered in maggots for a week. Uh, and then they'd been in a rail car lost in the Midwest all through the month of August. So you can just imagine what that was like. I, I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine. And, and, and I, I, I wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, so incredible. I think, you know, what a gift that is though. Right. When you think, well, no matter how bad things go later on, you think, well, at least I'm not, you know, in a, you know, rail car throwing 150 pound hides no doubt about it shoveling no about chicken it. poop yeah and it wasn't my only experience i mean i i've also laid cement before um this was right after my mission i was uh with a bunch of uh guys there many of them um and, and of course nothing against the the line of employment but for whatever reason um there was a lot of uh ex-convicts uh, that were working on the team mm. one that just got out of jail working right next to me and uh, I'm sitting there and remember, I'm right off my mission. So I, I, I don't swear. Right. Right. And so I'm pushing this cement around. And then finally, this guy next to me says, dang it, Brigham, you got to swear at it. Make it yield. And I thought to myself, wow, this is not the job for me. How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> Standing next to a convict, having him swear at me. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you go from there to getting in the training and education business? Jim Ackerman. Uh, Jim Ackerman uh, owns Ascend Marketing. Uh, he's uh, written several books. Uh, he's um, a fantastic marketer, great writer. Um, and he owned a, uh, a coaching company, a marketing coaching company. And uh, I did that for two years. Um, had a great experience with Jim uh, learning to uh, use 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 my head right work smarter not harder right <laughs> and uh interact with people what was cool about jim was is that he had everything you could possibly uh, want to know about marketing in his newsletters he'd write newsletters every week and what i did is i just sat down and studied those newsletters um over and over and over and over again uh, in the beginning i did uh some sales uh, types of th types of things but um I asked Jim if he'd allow me to be a coach and I was the youngest coach he ever let coach mm. and uh, started coaching uh, companies. One of those companies happened to be uh, Arctic Air, 
uh, Royal Hockley, Chico, California. And that's how Royal and I met. Wow. So hardwired into your DNA is this overwhelming, almost an obsession-like willingness to study, to really, really do the homework. I mean, I would say to you, abrogado. <laughs> and most people don't know what that means, but you know Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I served a mission in Brazil for two years. Um, you know, there's a funny story about that. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, you is know, it in the book? Because I read it. As a, as a matter of fact, um, so uh, uh, I, I remember uh, I'm still a, a hyperactive kid, barely graduated from high school. I probably shouldn't have graduated from high school. After my mission, I went back um, to just grab my grades and such because I needed to go to college, right? I needed to make something of my life after the, after the mission. But uh, one of my teachers said, um, Brigham, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, but your grades weren't what they were supposed to be. Uh, and we kind of talked about it. It was my Spanish class. Apparently, I failed Spanish class. So you might think, geez, I wonder why you failed Spanish class. Well, it's okay because I needed to learn Portuguese and not Spanish. So um, Brazil was amazing. Um, I didn't have a lot of confidence uh, coming out of high school. Um, in fact, um, I got behind in the missionary training center. Um, there was a lot of other smart uh, missionaries, and uh, they were catching on to this language very, very quickly. Uh, but I kept falling behind. However, uh, once we got out on the mission, there was this uh, basically a, a challenge uh, uh, given to us, given to our group. Uh, to memorize six discussions uh, in, in a matter of about 40 days. And I took that challenge uh, for two reasons. One, because I was depressed as I'll get out. And um, I needed to focus my mind on one specific thing. And so memorizing all day long uh, was super, super helpful for me. And two, I wanted to learn the language. Um, right. I wanted to be able to speak it and... and uh, um, Funny thing, I need to be able to interact with other people. And uh, one of the things that uh, was causing my, I don't, I don't know, depression was being in my own world, not being able to communicate, interact, and speak with other people. And so uh, I started, uh, so I started memorizing these, these, these lessons and um, I would have a notepad. I'd walk around with a notepad and we'd walk 10 miles a day, 100% humidity, 100 degrees right. in Brazil. Um, there was no, uh, there was, there was, it was just a bunch of hills up and down, up and down, up and down 10 miles a day at least. And, and I memorized these discussions. And what was interesting is, is that I was able to do it. Um, there's 10 people in our group and there was only three that were able to get it done. Um, one's a Dean today of a college. Um, another, uh, runs an, an, an oil company in Texas and me hyperactive kid that barely graduated from high school. Um, so the former so, chicken pooper scooper, that's right. That's right. Um, memorized those discussions and it was fantastic. You know, what's interesting is, is that it, it put my depression at ease for a while, but it didn't really solve it. Um, and it wasn't until, um, uh, about three months into my, my mission. In fact, there was a day I said to myself, dude, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, washing my clothes in a bucket. Um, I'm, I'm done uh, 
with this heat, um, I used to cook my breakfast in like this frying pan on top of a, basically what, there's a coffee can that my, my uh, associate basically put holes in the bottom of this coffee can. Of course, we don't drink coffee. It was empty, right? But um, he threw alcohol in the bottom and lit it on fire. And then he pulled a pan out, you know, kind of like MacGyver, right? Right. And, and he cooked his eggs this way. And he said, hey, this is, this is what we do. And, and I just thought to myself, this is ridiculous after about three months. I can't do this anymore. Um, plus, I still struggling with the language. It wasn't easy, right? Three, just three months in, but there was a family that we went to and, um, this uh, family, there's a, there was a gal, I think she was about 10 years old. And I walked into, um, to that home thinking to myself, okay, I'm done until, uh, all of a sudden she, she began to like, you know, interact with me. And I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. At least somebody starts to begins to understand me. And the rest of the family began to interact with me as well. But but, but, uh, it was this gal that was taking the lead. And so I did the best. I could. I could... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For yeah. sure. <laughs> so she and I, uh, uh, connected and then the rest of the family began to connect. And then, and then, uh, next thing you know, um, uh, as I just did my best to articulate every word and just share with my heart, um, how I felt, uh, about what I was doing there in Brazil. Um, after I was done, I just asked, Hey, how do, how do you feel? And she couldn't say anything, uh, because the tears started streaming down her eyes. And I, and I began to realize in that moment, Holy cow, she didn't just understand what I said. She actually felt it. And then I looked at the rest of the family, dad and mom, and they were all feeling it. And I left that house, uh, converted, truly converted for the first time. Firm new resolve. Yeah. Didn't care. If I was washing my clothes in a bucket, didn't care if I was walking around in hundred degree weather, didn't care if I was cooking eggs on a, on a pan, uh, you know, a coffee can, I didn't care, uh, what I was doing and who I was doing it for is more important than me. Um, and I was able to put, put that depression away, uh, for good after that. You found some meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about man's search for meaning, Victor Frankel in your book. Um, I think a lot of great authors do. I, I certainly have in the past multiple times and, and uh, explain to my subscribers exactly uh, who Viktor Frankl was. Well, he's, he uh, survived the uh, concentration camps in, in Germany. He, he's, his parents uh, passed away. In fact, all of his family members passed away. And uh, I mean, he, he was, he was uh, in the depths of, uh, of despair, and yet he recognized in those times or during those times that he could choose his own response, that he right. could choose to be happy, he could choose to be positive. And um, it was that choice that helped him survive uh, long after uh, the war was over. He was in three different concentration camps, lost his wife, his parents, his sister. But the one thing you realize the Nazis couldn't take away was his ability to respond to what was happening to him. That was the freedom that he found in that. He also, nobody talks about this, and I don't know why, but he also at night practiced something he later called logotherapy, which is basically visualization. He imagined being back in Austria, uh, speaking to thousands of students. And he said and that, having something to look forward to, number one, and number two, helping other inmates, prisoners, uh, by sharing his food and giving an encouraging word. And, and from that, he found the meaning. 
And of course, afterwards, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning, which is considered you know, a, a classic book. And I loved I loved that passage in your book because, well, I love the whole book. I couldn't put it down. I read it in two sittings. And uh, so, but it's not your first book. It's your third one, right? That's right. And so, okay, before we go any further, how, how does, because uh, I, I just bring them, your book is so fantastic. It's just, it reminded me of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits and in a lot of ways, it's it's a leadership tome, but really on, on based on principles. So before we dig a little deeper into that, how does somebody go about getting a copy? It, you, what, it drops in September? September 19th is the day it's published, but you can pre-order it today. In fact, you can you can do it right now. You just go to BrighamDickinson.com, and that's B-R-I-G-H-A-M Dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N.com. Click on the link. And you can pre-order it right now. That's awesome. And I can't speak highly enough about it. It's really extraordinary work. So and uh, here's what I found. I, I couldn't, I didn't read it like a novel. It took me longer to read it because I was underlining every third or fourth sentence. You know, it's really, a, <laughs> it's almost a workbook, you know, in terms of the content. Uh, what inspired you to write that? Okay. Let me back up and ask a different question because I love this in the book. Meekness isn't weakness. It's being vulnerable. Would you mind explaining that? Yeah. So, so it's, it's cool that you brought up uh, Victor Frankl because, and, and, and this is, uh, this is, this is one of the most important elements in, in the book. And that is, um, Whenever it comes to growth, at least in my experience, uh, pain, difficulty, adversity has been involved. Mm. Um, recognizing something about me that must change in order to uh, move forward, in order, in order to progress. Mm. Um, and that change involves uh, uh, a little bit of anguish as well. So what's interesting about uh, meekness is that some people say, oh my gosh, you don't want to be meek. Meek is meek, Meekness is, is weakness. Well, that's just not true. Um, uh, Gandhi was meek. Um, Jesus Christ was meek. I mean, it, don't tell me these individuals are weak, right? Of course not. Martin Luther um, King was meek. Yeah, exactly. Not, not, not weak people, strong people, incredible people, people that change the world. Right. Right. So, so what then is it? Well, what, what's interesting about meekness is, and you might say, oh, well, that's humility, humility. Well, no, humility is for you, right? Meekness is, is, is for everybody else. And let me give you an example of that. So well, that's an important distinction, but carry on. Yeah. And if you want to, if you want to, talk about it a little bit more we can but i can uh, but i've got examples as well well i by all means i mean because you're really talking about vulnerability exactly and, and being authentic and being sincere and and anytime i talk about a shortcoming a time i you know slipped and fell in the mud anytime i screwed up when i talk about those kinds of things it makes me more authentic makes me more vulnerable yeah. So it's interesting with your kids when they apologize, you it helps a lot, 
right? When your kid recognizes that they messed up and they feel bad about it, you can see the pain of conscience there. Um, it's easy for you to let it go and to move on. Well, what that is, is because they've exuded meekness, right? right? Now, what's interesting is, is that when you're working with your team, the same is true. When you recognize that you messed up, and this, this can be a very powerful thing that connects you with your team more than anything and else. You're the boss. And when you admit you messed up, it's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, when it was just me, when I started my first business 15 years ago and it was just me, I made all kinds of mistakes. The interesting thing is, is that I gave myself a lot of slack mm. because it was just me. Right. The question is, is as leaders, do we give the same slack to every one of our employees? Yeah. To encourage fail. Them. Freedom. Yeah. Freedom to fail. Encourage them to make new mistakes. And what did you learn from the old one? Yeah. Yeah. And when they're in the middle of it, asking them, hey, uh, instead of solving it for them, which is we have a tendency to do that, right? Just solve it for them. Instead of that, just say, hey, okay, here's what's the situation. I think I understand the situation. What should we do? Yeah. What did you learn from this? Yeah. I had a service manager. His name was Carl Lechner. And he was the best boss I ever had. And you know, when you screw up, he said, just tell me, I'm never, I'm never going to mad at you for telling me the truth. And, and invariably he'd say, okay, what are you going to do differently next time? And he was always calm. He never yelled. You know, he was just really, just a really great servant leader. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so in the book, you also talk about be the painter, not the paint. What do you mean by that? <laughs> okay. So look, <sighs> Why did we get into business in the first place? Why, why do people get into business? Do they get into business to create themselves a job where they're working 80 hours a week? Of course not, right? This is, this is not the reason why we start a business. If this is what we, this is why sometimes we start a business and we stop it and go and get a job because we find that it's actually easier than starting a business for the first five to 10 years. Right. Right. Especially when you're doing it the right way. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that we get into business for ourselves so that we can gain freedom, not just over our finances, right? Because that's important. We want to gain freedom over our finances, but we also gain, want to gain freedom over our time. Right. All right. And so in order to do that, you've got to stop being paint. In other words, you could be part of an incredible tapestry, right? It could be a, just this beautiful thing. You could be doing something just beautiful for customers on a regular basis. That's fantastic. But the problem is, is that the minute you you keep doing that, right? You're stuck there. You're stuck for the rest of your life until you decide you're not painting anymore. Instead, you're the painter. Right. Now, the cool thing about being the painter is, is that you can paint tapestry after tapestry, right? Painting after painting. And, um, and they're beautiful and they're amazing and they do, uh, inc they inspire people, right? That's, it's fantastic. But the thing is, is you have the freedom and the ability to continue to create. I think that's what we were born to do. Um, I think we're hardwired to, to create things, um, especially entrepreneurs. And so um, when they start a business, they're, they're in it, right? They're in the thick. They're doing everything. They're playing every role. And the hardest thing for them to do is, is, to, uh, is to scale past themselves, right? Um, and the way that you do that is you begin to delegate, right? So oh, that's a perfect segue into my next question. <laughs> so... <laughs> I have a simple philosophy of leadership, and, and that is soar with your strengths. What's the best and highest use of your time? 
Yes. And then when you find out what you're not good at, you delegate those things to people who love doing the things that you're not good at. But in the book, you talked about delegation, specifically sticky notes. Would you mind explaining that? Yeah. So the goal is to create a 20 hour work week. And I don't, I don't want anybody to get caught up on the specific time. Okay. 20 hours. You know, look, look, it could be 20 hours. It could be 10 hours. It could be five hours. It could be two hours. It could be 30 hours. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we use less time working in the business as opposed to on it. right. And, and, and start working on it. Right. So, and everybody says that whenever you go to a training, they say, Hey, um, you need to start working on the business as opposed to in it. Well, as a business owner, in fact, I've got three businesses telling somebody to work on it as opposed to in it. I mean, you might as well be speaking Greek because nobody knows how to do that when they've never done it before. Right. Right. So you could tell somebody that till they're blue, till you're blue in the face. They're not going to do it until they figure out how it took me 15 years to figure out how for the first time. Then after that is a whole lot easier. Right. Um, but here's what you do. You basically take, um, just write down everything you do, every responsibility, and you write that responsibility on a sticky and you put it on the wall. All right. You should probably have, by the time you're done with this, you know, 20 to 30 stickies on the wall. And then what you want to do, and, and this is the difficult thing, I want you to take the one task you are not willing to give up out of the 20 to the 30 that you've got on the wall. Only one. Now, once you take that one, you put that on your desk, you say, I'm keeping this one. This is the one I want to do. Even if I wasn't being paid to do it, I'm, this is the one I want to keep because I'm so good at it and it, and it and it fulfills me. Great. Then you take two more that you know, you know, you got to keep doing for a while um, because uh, even though uh, you're you're good at it, right? You're probably not the best at it, but you're good at it. Take those two, and and you keep them, right? In fact, there might be a couple of others that you absolutely have to do for a while, but all the others. You want to decide who in your organization can take on these responsibilities. Now, the reason why this is important is because I do a lot of work with uh, dealers. In fact, I do a lot of uh, um, dealer training, and I'm I, I'm I'm I don't know. I'd say I've probably been in 500 dealerships uh, throughout the United States. You talk about residential uh, home services contracting. That's right. The only reason why I say dealerships is because that's the way OEMs addresses them. But yes, for contractors. Right. Um, tons and tons of shops, tons and tons of shops. And I find that uh, the dealer is, or sorry, the owner, <laughs> the owner's doing a ton of work, right? It's 70, 80 hours a week they're, and their hands are in everything. Um, when I go there, I do a tag, I do some tag teaming with the technicians. And the reason why I do tag teaming with the technicians throughout the day is to help the technicians and, and, and such, but also to identify talent right. amongst a, a, an owner's team. Now, while I'm there identifying the talent, I have a meeting at the end of the day after having done basically tag team with six or seven different technicians, um, just watching them perform, um, in, in the uh, customer's home. And, and also interacting with them. And I say, hey, this individual, this individual, and this individual, these guys, these are these could be potential leaders. Um, and the reason why this is important is, is because we want to continue to challenge our team. We use, we, we have a tendency as business owners to lose our most talented individuals because we're not continually challenging them. Um, they find challenges elsewhere if we don't challenge them. 
Okay. There is no such thing as status quo for them. They want to continue to grow, continue to learn. And so these individuals need something new, something different on a regular basis. Um, and so the way that you do that is you take a look at those stickies that are still on the wall. You don't, you don't, you dare take them off the wall. You take a look at those stickies on the wall and you have regular meetings with those individuals that are potential leaders and you ask them where they see themselves in the organization in a year, in two years, in three years. And then what you do is you begin to offload each one of those responsibilities that are currently yours to them. And you begin. Now to you're going them. from 80 hours a week down to 50 or 40. That's right. And moreover, you're doing the things that you're good at. You're soaring with your strengths and you're delegating your weaknesses. That's right. And you cannot do that, right? You cannot do that until you're willing to get out of the limelight. And here's what I mean by that. And, and if, I, if I'm jumping ahead here, just let me know, Mark. But No, but you better go fast because we've got about three or four minutes left. Yeah. No, so here's the thing <laughs> that's hilarious so so the so the uh the thing about being in the limelight is is that we love being heroes we love being the person that takes care of everyone and everything and solving every problem because it makes the day go fast and 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 uh you know just just living that life of urgency is so fantastic and wonderful and being exhausted oh my gosh where did the time go the problem with that is is that it is in fact exhausting and it will burn you out and it will wear you down and and you will suffer and your company will suffer and your people will suffer because they all rely on you to get things done. So the first thing we need to do if we're going to be effective leaders, if we're going to scale our business beyond ourselves, is, is that we've got to choose to stop being the hero and let our team be the hero. We've got to choose to get out of the limelight and let them jump into that limelight and face the music, the goods, the, the bad, the, the highs, the lows, and, and help them grow as we've grown. And while you do that, remembering the window in the mirror, when it comes time to take the credit, you give it away. When it comes time to take the blame, you look in the mirror. Oh, yes. And you allude to that in the book, but that's one of my favorite principles, uh, because it's so it's so simple you know the first great general that demonstrated that was robert e lee and uh, you know at the end of the civil war he said this has all been my fault why we lost which simply wasn't true but yeah. perception's everything right so so before we run out of time uh why was 2009 an important year for you uh you must have read this in the book what Tell me more about 2009. <laughs> well, you had some, you had an epiphany. You know, you realized that you had to do some things differently, and uh, it was kind of a turning point for you. Um, brick walls. Okay, well, I guess you'll have to reread your own book. And, uh... <laughs> no, I think I think you're talking about brick walls. Um, it, it, basically, um, I, I plateaued, and I think in yes, wait, wait. Yeah, so my company plateaued in 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 uh, wait wait back wait back. You hit, you was hit a like time a million, ago. and you were stuck. You were stuck at a million. Okay, so so Mark, what you're talking about actually happened in 2015. Ah, okay. Into <laughs> which which one do you want to talk about? So 2009 is when uh, the, the company I had in mind went kaput. Um, um, with the time that we have left, which one do you want to talk about? Well, the one that can we can squeeze in in about four or five minutes. Okay. Let's talk about 2009. 
Okay. So I had a, I had a, I had a business that uh, idea that went under. It was like a marketing type business that went under, and it wasn't great. And um, I uh, was driving uh, uh, to work, and I decided that uh, I couldn't bear to go into work another moment. So I kept driving. Went to the other side of the city, and there's a Barnes and Noble, and uh, found a book um, written by uh, Jeff Gittimer. And the first uh, basically paragraph in that book was, is um, work on being positive and happy regardless of your circumstances. And if you don't like it, give this book to somebody else and watch them get rich and happy while you're, while you continue to be depressed. And so <laughs> I, he's such a I, contrarian, that guy. <laughs> yes, he is. So, I shared the stage with him and he's not above swearing and giving <laughs> the audience a finger and, you know, I mean, but, but he's got great information. He's a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, that certainly motivated me, and and because of that, I about two months later, I I drew the first version of the pattern for excellence, which is um, the eight principles um, uh, that uh, I cover in all of my books. So basically, the foundation of all three of my companies. Uh, so that's what happened in two thousand nine. Is I I was sitting on a cot in my brother in law's basement and had an idea when I was broke, um, and this was the idea that pattern for excellence, and it's been motivating each of my companies ever since, and uh, vital. Um, set of core values that uh, motivates the culture of of my company it's not it's not you know feelings don't it's feelings aren't derived by money right you're you, what people feel are the are the principles and the culture that you build um, and and uh, these core values have def definitely uh, affected my culture in a positive way how much well, time you, do we have left well for you uh, about four or five minutes so for you cool. it's not how far you fall it's how high you bounce the counts that's right. Oh, you found yourself in a, in a hole and you stopped digging. And then you said, let me turn to books. Let me turn to ideas. And, and to me, that goes back to what my, the late great Charlie tremendous Jones taught me. You'll be the same person in five years, except for two things, the books you read and the people you associate with. And uh, like, like you, I'm a voracious reader. And I, the first place I go to is, is books for answers. Um, yes. I'm rereading The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. And I read it in 2008 and it changed my life then and it's, it's doing it again. I mean, just, but the other, the other side of that coin is you don't need to be sick to get better, right? So- That's right. You're a voracious reader, you're a learner. Uh, so I guess the last question is this, if you could offer advice to leaders, what three things would you say? Here's three things you feel are really important. You need to make the transition as a leader uh, from proving yourself to giving of yourself. When we first start our careers, we are constantly proving ourselves. Hey, look at me. I can sell. I can, I, I can, I can make a difference in your life. I can, you know what? This, you're constantly proving yourself. Whether it's sales, whether it's whether it's a product, whether it's whatever it is, you're 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 proving yourself, right? You're trying to get the job and 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 show that uh, that you 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 do great work, basically. That's great. That's fantastic. And what what's interesting is is that proving yourself can get you in a position where you begin to lead. Well, the moment you begin to lead other people, you need to stop proving yourself. Right. 
Instead, you need to start giving to them and help them get where you are, right? And some people might be afraid of that, but you should never be afraid of that. Never be afraid of of uh, people getting better because the better they become, um, that the more you can grow, right? The more effective you are at growing other people and helping them become their best selves and working at an autonomous level, the more freedom you're going to experience. Um, because so, they're empowered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you'll begin to find fulfillment by the way that they grow. And especially when they say, oh my gosh, you know, you, you changed my life. You changed my life. And, and when you receive that, just let yourself receive that. You're going to be far more fulfilled by giving as opposed to continuing to prove yourself as a leader. So, so tr- make that transition um, as a leader, uh, giving of your time as opposed to proving yourself, right? And of course, that's covered in the book. And in fact, the book is called Something to Give. So that would be number, no- number one. Um, number two, get yourself a coach. I, I have a coach. I own a coaching company. And, um, I am a, a absolute believer in coaching. Um, in answer to your, to your question about 2015, we hit a million dollars. We plateaued. We hit it again. And I ended up hiring a coach. And that coach made me turn off my phone, sat me down, and, um, and just started asked asking me, you the hard question. Yes. I you know, what do you really... Part. Yeah. What do you really want to do with your business? Well, this is what I want to do. Cool. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going right. to do X, Y, and Z. And it, w- it was amazing that he continued to ask how, how, how for days, literally for days until I was very, very clear on what I was going to do. And, and he helped me transition from proving myself to, to giving. Absolutely. Sometimes so a great two. coach can put a rock in your shoe in a huge mm-hmm. way. I had coffee with my high school basketball coach and I hadn't seen him in 30 years. And I told him, I said, one game, I went off in the third quarter, hit five shots in a row, and the other team called a timeout. And the only thing you said in the timeout was this, and it literally changed my life. Mark's hot, get him the ball. (laughs) Now, come on. That's so simple. Of course you would say that. But he was the only coach that ever did that. And that had a – and, you know, he's 84 years old now, and it was so great to see him. I hadn't seen him in 30 years, but I – this is the same guy who flunked me uh, in high school English. And I ended up giving him a couple of my books while we had coffee in Arizona. And he just shook his head and said, wow, I had no idea. And I think one of the important things is going back to those coaches and saying, thank you coach for what you did for me. Yes. So my question to you is, have you written that coach a letter thanking him for all the things he did for you? Oh, for sure. Oh, I figured you would. I just had to ask. Uh, so we got we got a minute minute and a half. So closing thoughts. Uh, we started this conversation, or at least uh, towards the beginning of it. We talked about meekness. Um, I do this for my kids, and uh, in in a way, I do it for my team. As far as my kids are concerned, I am I am not perfect. I strive to be perfect, right? I strive to do good as a father. Um, but uh, I know I'm not perfect. So there are going to be times where, where I need to apologize. Um, and when I do, it, it's one of those, it's just, it, it's just uh, extremely powerful. And I say okay, to them, we got 30 seconds, Brigham. Yeah. So, 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 so the, name of your book, the name of your book is? Something to give. Something to give. They can get it. They can pre-order by going to Brigham. Brigham Dickinson. 
Bridgman.com, B-R-I-G-H-A-M-D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N.com. Thank you so much, my friend. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.